dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, this week, we're continuing the conversation from last week, Who's Watching the Kids? We'll be hearing more from Hodgman County Economic Development Director, Leanne Seiler, and mom, farm wife, and school paraprofessional Melissa Clark about how the child care gap in rural communities hits families hard. Kayleen, last week we talked with Leanne and Melissa about availability and affordability of child care. And this week, as we continue the conversation, we'll be addressing quality and possible solutions to the situation. You know, we here at High Plains Journal strongly believe children are the hope for the future success for our country. So not only will we be coming back to this topic in future issues, but we also believe in using our platform for good. And that's why to show our support for 4-H, High Plains Journal will be donating 25% of all subscription revenue to 4-H now through December 31st. So there's no better time to start, renew, or even gift an HPJ subscription. Visit hpjsubscribe.com to get started. Again, that's hpjsubscribe.com. Sign up online and 25% of your subscription will benefit 4-H. It's just our way of giving back to a program that gave so many of us here on staff a solid foundation for success. Well, Jenny, let's talk about quality of childcare available in rural communities. What did you learn in reporting this story? Kayleen, I heard from several moms who shared their struggles to find not just any spot in a child care facility, but who were really worried that their kids weren't getting the quality of care to help them develop as they grew. Did you know that kids make more than one million neural connections before the age of three? And 90% of a child's brain architecture is developed by age five. And Kayleen, that's what sets them up for later success in reading, in math, critical thinking. Um, the, the, the science says that children with access to high quality early childhood programs, they end up graduating from high school more than children that don't have the same access. And those children with access to those high quality early childhood education, they have higher lifetime salaries and levels of employment. That sounds like what we do for the youngest members of our community at their very earliest ages helps reduce school dropout rates and creates adults who are going to be contributing to our society. That's it. Exactly. You know, another disturbing trend that I discovered, but I didn't have time to address is that all of this comes at a cost. It's a double edged sword. Families need affordable childcare, but providers have to be able to pay their bills too. And so many in-home providers are living at or below the poverty level. And many more, Kayleen, they're reaching retirement age or hanging on just because they know the families in their communities need them to stay open. 
And those providers, they stay open even while they're battling their own health problems like obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, just to name a few. The issue is important for sure. And if you have a story you'd like to share, let us know at hpjtalk at hpj.com or call us at 1-800-452-7171. And thanks for writing with us on HPJ Talk. Last week, we started our child care gap conversation with Leanne Seiler, Hodgman County Economic Development Director, and Melissa Clark, a mother and paraprofessional in a McPherson County School District. We returned to the second part of our conversation, discussing the quality issue and what solutions some communities are looking to implement to address the issue. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the the quality section and. Um, have you ever worried about the quality of your child care offerings in your community? And, and we ask that because, you know, science says that the first three years of a child's life, they are building the little synapses and they are creating the pathways for this brain that's going to keep them, you know, keep them learning. They're going to provide the drive for, for learning and things. Melissa, you're a para. You understand this more than anybody that, you know, early childhood development is critical to the progress. Um, have you ever, have you ever worried that maybe my child isn't getting the enrichment that they need, but again, it's an opening. Melissa, you're not on your head. Yeah. So I feel, I felt really comfortable with the home daycares and I loved every single provider we've had, but now that Rosalind's in like an actual center, they have circle time and she's two but when she sees the alphabet she can recognize that that's abc's and she comes home and sings and she has so much better vocabulary she now can identify all of her colors and home daycares just don't have the time and there could be two one-year-olds and a two-year-old and a four-year-old like you can't just yeah so like right now they're building off of each other, these two-year-olds, and they're all the same age. They can all do the same things instead of at home daycares when you have all these mixed ages. And so, yeah, we've seen a difference and we, we love all of them, but Rosalind is definitely getting more development at a school center type area, but there's only one in McPherson. And I think there's only three or four in the county. Kayleen, let's talk about quality. And um, you've got the the perfect situation. Grandma is doing one-on-one with the boys and, and helping them out and everything. And they're going off with their dad and they're learning practical stuff there too, right? Hopefully. <laughs> Besides just having to, how to spit outside. Yeah. <laughs> All the things that little boys do. Um, I mean, it's nice to have them around family, but like Melissa said, it's nice where they go somewhere and they can learn something and be social. And, you know, grandma did a wonderful job with them, you know, teaching them their their letters and their numbers and their colors. But being able to interact with other kids is important, too. And 
I, I agree that they need to be around other children. And from with COVID this year, seeing the difference in them change as they weren't around their friends. And now that they're back around their friends with other classmates, it's nice to see that they can, can be social again. Yeah. Leanne, you've, you've seen two generations of childcare. Um, you know, you, you get to see how your, your grandkids have enrichment, but um, your children may not have had those opportunities. Um, what's striking to you on that? Well, and I was trying to think of how I would say this in case any of my kids heard it. Um, my grandchildren are definitely ahead of my kids. <laughs> um, maybe it's because I was the one teaching my kids, you know, at the, I was home with them at that age. But um, I'm always amazed at these little boogers that, you know, how much they know and absorb and, and can um, at this age, you know, I, I'm, it just amazes me. So, and I'm like every other grandparent, I think they're the smartest ones out there, you know, but um I think one thing that's that's good in our community, even for the to begin with, I I truly believe we have some really exceptional quality daycares. I visited with some of the people. This is their passion. They're not going to make millions off of it, but they are dedicated to serving the families and the children in this area. Um, but we have a really, and I'm guessing it's everywhere. I guess I don't know. We have a really unique um, uh, program here called Play and Learn. And there's, a, okay, yeah, it's shaking hands. So I, I think it used to be called PAT, but, um, you know, they send out packets and they get the kids together and teach them things. And and I know I'm on the list now because of my grandchildren, but I, I know that Kelly this week, um, I think twice a week, she's bringing these kits or these bags and putting on porches during COVID. And then they do Zoom together. So they're still getting that enrichment and the families are still working with them on things. I, I think that's priceless. It really is huge. And I don't know where that pro I, I should have looked this up. I don't know where that program is funded through, I'm guessing the schools, but um, it is, it's well worth every dime. Yeah, I took mine to, to learn and play a few times and it was a realization where, oh, these kids need to get to town a little bit more. <laughs> <Get away from them. laughs> they do some fun things. I've been to a few of them and I'm, I'm just like, oh, why didn't I think of that all those years ago? This is amazing. Yeah. Do uh, either one of you have any concerns or worries about the age or the health of providers in your area? And does that factor into any decisions that you that you have have to make coming up with childcare? It does. Uh, um, you know, we had a long term. In fact, she was uh, my daycare provider for my girls um, that retired a few years ago. And, and literally that, I mean, that was a game changer. We really struggled for a couple of years finding enough daycare. And so our daycare providers now have maybe not been doing it as long, but, you know, they're going to get to that point. And especially with COVID, people's health, you know, you can easily take a daycare provider out of the, like Jenny talked about, out of the, the situation for a while and you're struggling. So um, same thing, you know, what if someone's husband changes jobs and they move or something? I mean, those kinds of things would just really upset the, the, the situation. That's not the word I want. It, it would throw everything into chaos again. That's where we would be. Melissa, um, any thoughts there too on, on the replacements coming into the community or, or age or health of, of who we've got out there? Yeah. So I just know from like experience from, uh, interviewing providers this time around when we were with health or home daycares 
we interviewed a gal who, I mean, she wasn't older, but her mother helped her and her mother had cancer. So we're like, well, if the mom can't help, then that means she has to drop her numbers down. And so that was a concern. And then we found this other provider who was young and closer to us in town and a little bit more flexible with her schedule. And so we chose her. Well, then we found out she was pregnant. And so we're like, well, when she goes on maternity leave, like what, what are we going to do with Roz? And I mean, after a month of her being there, she wasn't able, her sister-in-law was going to help and decided she didn't want to leave her job. And then her son needed to go to a different school. So now she was transfer, transporting him back and forth. So it didn't work out anyway. But there's all these, with home daycares, there's all like their personal situations that impact our um, availability of having our children go to that specific home daycare. Yeah. One of the things that I learned in some of my research is um, what we know of in-home providers is that the prevalence of diabetes, of cancer, heart disease, Um, any number of health conditions is rising. Obesity is rising in our home healthcare providers. And that directly contributes to the quality of care that they can provide. You know, if you've got somebody that's already dealing with their own health problems, and then you exacerbate that by adding a lot of children into the situation, that can can cause some problems. Uh, We've got about nine more minutes. So let's let's talk solutions in in the time that we have. We've heard of community childcare centers coming in. We've talked about trying to, to bring in more um, providers and replacement providers in the community, trying to draw those in. How about, you know, are we hearing about anything working with businesses to subsidize um, childcare for their employees, more work flexibility for scheduling and PTO, community investments? Um, Leanne, I know that you are in, a, in the heart of of economic development, what do you hear from folks in your, in your um, work? I've seen a number of communities that have found some solutions and it's too bad that um, Simone couldn't be here today, but I know that her community is working on a solution. I, I, I'm going to stumble over some of the other communities have, that have been able to put together packages and made this work, but um, I think that's part of the solution. I think part of the solution is some, some changes um in the way things are done to add flexibility um, to some parents' uh, job descriptions and things. Um, I think another one, I I understand the need for childcare licensing without a doubt, um, but in situations where it's not possible, um, I don't know how it would work, but maybe to lessen the fear, uh, you know, people won't talk about it because, you know, you you don't want to get someone in trouble who's trying to help someone. Um, So those are some of the things that I think would be key. Every year, someone talks in our community about starting a childcare um, business and it, it never pencils out financially. You know, it's just, it it doesn't. Um, And so no one really has the money to, to throw that in and say, Oh, well, it didn't work, you know? Um, So I think there may be some, some opportunities through some grant funding and, and things like that. Another thing, and I don't know that we've necessarily discussed it here, but um, as much as childcare costs, providers are still not getting rich over it. They're not, you know, they are, they're not um, 
it's not a lucrative business very often. And so, you know, and here we're, we're sending the, our most precious resources to some of the lowest paid people. Um, so if another job comes open, you know, it's, and it's best for their family to move forward and take that job and give up the daycare, they have to. Um, so, you know, some, I, I just don't know whether it's tax credits or what, how it would work, but there needs to be some, uh, it just, it needs to be addressed. Um, and I don't have all those solutions, but I think it's a mixture of many things. Mm-hmm. Melissa, what's one thing that could help you and, and Rick in, uh, in your situation? Well, like in our, our specific situation, I work for the school district. And so there's been many, many teachers and many, many paras who are in the same position I am. And around the lunch table, we've always like, the dis- we wish the district had a daycare for like parents who have children or teachers who have children. And some districts have them, some districts don't, but it would be very beneficial. I know in McPherson, there have been in the past more centers, but the one Rosalind has been at is at now has been there for like over 20 years. So I don't know what's happened with the other ones, but they just disappear. And then there's just the one center. And then, and like, um, the gal we had before the center, um, she was opening a daycare because she heard there was a need for it. And again, it just didn't pan out. So if we can, if there was like aid or something that could help people like start up a childcare would be. Yeah. Go ahead, Leanne. Just like the school's policies with, especially now with healthcare providers being, you know, so frontline. Um, I think some of the policies in place work against the hospitals when they try to do childcare uh, centers and things that, could be addressed. And, you know, that, that again is shift work and things that would really help out our healthcare providers as well. And maybe they could work with it so that schools could be included or something. But what do you hear from businesses that are trying to come out to Western Kansas to start up um, about how they can attract employees to Western Kansas? But do they even understand that the childcare situation is a, is a big question for them? Some do. <laughs> Um, you know, some of the things that, that when we're talking to someone about moving here to, to move their business here, housing is always, you know, a big topic. Um, another big topic is the workforce. And then that's where childcare comes in. You know, do you have adequate workforce? What's your unemployment numbers? And then of that, you know, a good percentage of those people will be women. Is there adequate childcare? And so it is for the companies that are, you know, thinking ahead. It is, it is an issue. Um, and we want to be honest with them, but, um, I don't know the answer to it. I, I, I just, you know, it is, it's still an issue. I would never tell someone, oh yeah, come on. We, we could provide all these people and, and this workforce and we have adequate childcare. Um, you know, we'd be more likely to say how many people and we could sure scramble to try to come up with it. And uh, to be honest, do they themselves come to you and say, how can we help? How can because we're we're tired of the situation with our employees. We know that our it's a stress on our employees. How can we how can we put money to where it's best useful? You know, would that be in subsidizing a childcare facility startup? Would it be in paying their employees subsidies to pay for childcare? I've had that conversation with one yet, but I, I look forward to that day. 
because I think, you know, when you look at your turnover with your employees and how much it costs to, to, you know, to, to deal with turnover, helping to subsidize childcare would be a small drop in the bucket to keep good employees. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that, you know, that, uh, you know, people are doing out in, in rural Kansas where it's a creative solution to the, the problem? I'm embarrassed to say I, I do know of some and I'm trying to remember exactly. Is it is it Phillipsburg? Yes, Phillipsburg. Yeah. Phillipsburg. Yeah. Can can you speak more to that? Because I think that sounds like uh, an interesting um, dynamic there. And I was not able to attend the tour of it. And so my knowledge on is, is not where it should be, but um, I've heard some really good things about that. And yeah. then um, there is also, um, of course, not, not Kansas, but Texas, you know, Sunray and their, their school program. Um, I also think I heard something about, um, I believe it was Edwards County, maybe, that their nursing home has worked out a solution with a, a child daycare that's not actually in the nursing home, but next door so they can utilize the kitchen and things like that. So I think there's some creative things happening, just not near enough. Right. Yeah. Phillipsburg, they started their own community child care center. So uh, for the listeners, and we probably should have explained this before, but there is a difference between in-home providers. They have a cap on on however many kids that they can have in their actual home. Then there are centers, which are, uh, you think of them as a, as a daycare or a preschool, but they are an actual physical building outside of somebody's home. And uh, it has teachers and, a, and an administrator and that thing, that type of thing. In Phillipsburg, they started a community center and they actually, you know, they had to go through so many regulatory hurdles to get it off the ground. Uh, they hired an administrator that actually has a, a degree in education and and has experience in administration of a child care facility like that to get it off the ground and get it started. But the thing that they kept running across was they they had to balance the price that they were charging for their community members, which, by the way, this is a service to the community. So you have to keep that low. But then you also need to pay people to work in that center a wage that allows them to live in Phillipsburg, Kansas, where the cost of living is different. And then you have to compete for those very same jobs if those people are trying to move from, say, Johnson County to Sedgwick County, or Johnson or Sedgwick County to Phillipsburg. I mean, why would you move to Western Kansas if you can make more doing the same job at a facility in a larger, in a larger place that has more children? Um, these are the same things that we come across with, with economic development across the board. So there's a lot of, of uh, questions going on. Um, anything else that you, that, that you want to bring up uh, that we haven't talked about? Kayleen, any, any, any other things that we need to, to bring up that you can think of? I can't think of anything else, but I know I appreciate the flexibility that I've had at my own job, you know, being able to work at home a few days a week and you know, have family take care of my kids. And even when Chance was younger, he had to have a helmet because he had a flat spot on his head and we had to go to Wichita a couple times a month at first. And then it was once a month and just the flexibility of having a job like that, it gives you so much less stress to have to know that, oh, they're not going to get grumpy at me if I ask off to take this time or 
when Chance was a little older, he was going to preschool. They didn't start until 8.30. So I would drop one kid off at school and go to preschool at 8.30 and then come to work. <laughs> and I know those people in the office that don't understand how childcare is. I know there was some side eyes and some, some grumpiness towards, well, she's not at her desk. She's not working today. Well, that's not how it works. And I think because of COVID, that's one of those things where, you know, they realize that a job can be done at home with a computer and all this stuff. So I'm, I'm just very appreciative of having the flexibility because I'm pretty sure it probably <laughs> wouldn't have worked yet at another place of employment. I mean, I've seen my own sister go through stuff like that and, you know, she's been lucky to have flexible jobs that allow for, you know, different, different needs as far as childcare goes. Well, and Hey, as one of your coworkers, I loved it anytime that you brought the kids in because Sean would always come into my office and (laughs) he would sit and have a conversation with Jenny and chance would kind of hide behind Kayleen's legs but if I brought out candy or a toy, yeah. he was on me like duck on rice. <laughs> Anytime it was donut day, <clears throat> they would want to be there. And Chance was usually lucky enough to, for it to be donut day when he showed up. So that's why the kid loves sweets. <laughs> I think he worked it purposely like that. Melissa, <laughs> any final thoughts? A little oh. jealous because <laughs> I, like at a school, I have to be there when the kids are there. So it'd be nice. I mean, and they're fairly flexible, but with COVID they're yeah, we, and sometimes Rosalind would be able to come for like a little bit of time, but now no one can like enter the building that doesn't need to be there. So yeah, it's been a challenge, but I'm lucky that I have Rick's Rick's flexible. So Well, and speaking as the youngest that got to tag along with my dad when he fed cattle or or did any chores around the farm or he was working in the shop, um, I I have an appreciation for welding and an appreciation for mechanical things. I can't do either one of those, but I appreciate it. <laughs> but there are memories being built right there. Trust me on that. There's a connection there that um, is stronger than anything. So, uh, I don't think she's hurting for a whole bunch of love there. <laughs> and uh, Leanne, anything else? Final thoughts? Just reiterate what Kayleen said that I think if anything positive has come out of COVID, it's that we can be more flexible. We can still get work done and maybe do it part-time from home or do it in evenings or weekends or something to make this work. Things that people never thought were possible before are working because we have to make them work. So I'm hoping that that will continue on. As much as I dislike Zoom for meetings, you know, eight-hour meetings and things like that, it still has allowed us to continue. And um, I I hope that people will take that flexibility into consideration um, to make this work better. We've had a lot of meetings at school lately. And our principal told us this quote, the only thing consistent right now is change. So if we can make it through this time and being a parent with kids, we can make it through anything. <laughs> there you go. I think, honestly, after, after hearing that this has been an issue for 35, 40, 45 years or so in rural America, I think maybe now we are finally at a time where if there is something good to come out of COVID and how it upended the apple cart as far as our normal routines, maybe this is one thing that 
businesses can actually look at and go, there is a different way to do this. There is a better way to do this that is good for our employees and good for our bottom lines. So maybe maybe change comes out of this and, and it's good change. Ladies, thank you so very much for joining us today. I know taking an hour or so out of a Saturday was tough <laughs> and I appreciate that. Um, thank you for joining us on HPJ Talk to talk about your childcare experiences, to discuss solutions and opportunities for fixing the situation. It really means a lot to, to us, right, Kayleen? It sure does. It's okay. And we appreciate you guys bringing light to this, you know. I, I think I even read on your Facebook posts, a, a couple gentlemen posted on it and commented and said, you know, this this is an issue and I it's an it's everyone's issue. And so I'm glad you're you're bringing it to light. Yeah. It, yeah. It's going to take a lot of people figuring out something different. And instead of just saying, well, that's just a mom issue. That's just a young couple issue. That's that'll sort itself out in a couple of years. It ain't going to stop. And if we want to bring people out to Western Kansas for jobs, if we want to grow the children, the number of kids that we have in our schools so we can have school districts, if we want to keep our hospitals, if we want to keep our businesses, then the least you can do is make sure that we have an environment for our rural families where they aren't concerned about who's going to be watching the kids and they have stability in their lives and they aren't paying three quarters of their paycheck to take care of one child. It's the least we can do out here. Otherwise, we're still in the circle firing squad of, well, we just don't know why we can't get kids to come back to rural Kansas. <laughs> Gee, fellas, I don't know. I get a little hot under the collar, don't I, Kaylee? <laughs> That's just key, that, that fellas thing. A lot of the people that are in the positions to make some of these decisions haven't had to find childcare, or at least not for 60 years, 50 years maybe. Yeah. And um, it, it needs it, to be brought to their attention. Yeah. yeah. Or they were in the position where they could afford childcare even. So, yeah. When you've got people that the last time that they had toddlers was 1972. And their wife worked from home and took care of the, didn't work. Their wife was at home, was a stay-at-home mom. That was her job, part of the, the contribution, right? This is a foreign thing to them. You know, they, they want to, to bring in people to the community, but they don't understand that there are, there are real problems and real hurdles. It's not just paying them a, a wage. It's not just making sure that they have a house that's not going to fall down around them or that they're going to be able to go to a hospital to have the baby. If you want to have multiple babies, then create a situation where that family can have multiple babies and they can be a contributing member of your community. You know, let them let them grow roots, but you got to fertilize the soil. You can't just plant them into rocks and expect them to, to thrive. That only works for succulents and people aren't succulents. What is the saying that people are like plants? They just need some water and sunshine and then they have complex emotions or however that thing goes that I saw. <laughs> and Jenny's all of that. <laughs> I'm a very complex girl. <laughs> well, ladies, thank you so very much for joining us and on HPJ Talk to share your childcare experiences, to discuss solutions and opportunities to fix them. It means so much to us that you spent your your a little bit of time with us this Saturday, right, Kayleen? 
Yeah, for sure. And listeners, if you want to read more about this topic, check out our coverage on hpj.com. And we want to hear from you. Email us at hpjtalk at hpj.com and share your stories of child care troubles in your areas of the country. Thanks, ladies. Thanks for listening to our special episode and be sure to watch for our hay forage and grazing marketing and finance issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes November 30th with a story from Jennifer Thur. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck. Saddle up with me Dry land in God's country Crops far as I can see Headlights on both ends